I hope you're able to laugh because what we got to share with you today is deep. So uh, get all the laughs out now. Uh, I brought my team of people uh, with me. We're going to answer some questions in just a moment. But uh, before we do, uh, there's a couple um, just kind of housekeeping things that I need to address. The very first one is um, next weekend, which Molly did a fantastic job in her uh in all of our blue, she's so adorable, isn't she? Am I allowed to say that? I can say that with my wife on stage, right? Um, she's adorable. Um, but she announced that next Sunday is our sixth birthday. We've been to church for six years. We survived a pandemic, man. That like, that's like that gives a that makes us like sixty years old. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but we're celebrating, and we're doing that by inviting one of the loudest voices in my life for the last year. Uh, by the name of Mark Malding. He wrote a book called God's Best Kept Secret. We're giving that book away next Sunday. So anybody that's in the house, uh, we'll, we'll give you a copy. Um, after today's attendance, I'm going to have to go order more books, by the way. Um, it's been just a great, Holy Spirit's just been moving. Um, but on Saturday at 3 o'clock, Mark is going to be here to do a Q&A from 3 o'clock to 4.30 uh, we're going to do a Q&A. There's not going to be any music. Uh, it's just going to be Mark answering questions and uh, sitting down with Mark uh, this last week. So Mark's my counselor. Uh, he wouldn't call himself that, but uh, he is my counselor. That's what I see him as. And um, when we sat down this last week, he's like, let's talk about the Q&A. I want you to make sure that people understand what the Q&A is about. It's about the book. So if you've read God's Best Kept Secret, uh, we want to invite you to come and to ask any questions that you have about the book. But I realize that's why we're giving the book away. Not everybody has read it, uh, but everybody needs to read it. I believe that. And so um, also, if you have questions about God's power living in you and through you uh, by his grace, those are the questions that Mark wants to ask. How you allow God to live in you and through you. Um, by his power. Uh, the Bible calls it the new covenant. And so uh, if you have any questions about grace, about the new covenant, Jesus living in you and through you, those are the questions that Mark wants to answer next next week. And he told me about what he's preaching on. And uh, did I tell the first service what the name of it was? Um, I forget the name, but um, it's he wants, he's talking to us next Sunday about forgiveness. But it's forgiveness in the lens of looking at your past and the power of getting, like getting, not, not getting over your past. How did he say it? I, I read it to you earlier this morning. You forgot. Um, it's all right. Uh, it was really good, right? I could get out my phone and read the text message, but I'm not going to do that. But it's, it's just... What I love about it is it's what he's helped me do in my life. And I'm inviting him to be a part of, of you. I want to I want I want to share him. Like so good. So uh, you don't want to miss next week. Uh, Saturday at three and then Sunday morning at nine and eleven. This morning as a church, I feel like there's something going on in, in our town um, that that I, as a as a body of believers, I think that we need to pray about. On Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, March 1st, 
uh, at 6.30, there's a school board meeting at Wyndham Middle School in the um, cafeteria, which it's a public meeting. You're all allowed to go. I would invite Christians to go and just to sit and to pray during the, ser- during the, the meeting. I'm used to calling everything a service, but um, during the meeting, um, it's addressing uh, pornographic books that are in the library, um, in our kids' library. And uh, there are, there's a group of, of parents, especially, that um, are wanting to, to fight against this. But I believe as believers, we're called to protect our kids. And there's a, a spirit of pornography that is wanting to invade their lives, to rob them of who God has made them to be. And I believe we have to go to God on their behalf. If you were here for our series, Shameless Prayers, I talked about how we go to the Father as brothers and sisters together. And when we do, it's like me growing up. I went to my dad. Anytime I really wanted to back my dad into a corner, I'd say, hey, Billy, come ask, ask dad with me. We both want this. Let's go to dad and ask him if we could do this. And then, and then we'd go to my dad and be like, what are you guys up to, right? I think God needs to, to know what we're up to. He already does anyway, right? And so we have to go to him on, on behalf of these, these kids. So let's pray. Father, um, collectively as, as one body, one unified body, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we, we ask that you would protect our kids. Father, I, I pray for this meeting that will take place on, on Wednesday, March 1st, 2023 at Wyndham Middle School. Father, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be felt in a public meeting. I pray that it would be felt because of the, the believers that are allowing Jesus to live in them and through them. Father, that they would be present with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, I pray that they would be present with, their, with the gifts of the Spirit. Father, that they would speak love, but they would also speak truth. And they would be a voice for kids, Father, that we need to desperately fight for. Father, I pray for, for Chris Howell, the superintendent, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would convict him that he can do something about this, that he's a leader called by God to lead in this time for such a time as this. Father, I pray that you would stand against the spirit of pornography, Lord, in the town of Wyndham. And Lord, I pray that that would start in the homes of the dads that will be present in the meeting that night. That dads would stand up, repent of the spirit of pornography in their own home before they go to a meeting and fight against it. Father, convict us of the ways that we've allowed sin to creep into our lives. We love you. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeff, take it away, bub. It's on. All right. We, uh, we learned a lot in the uh, first service. So uh, one, We did, too. Yeah. 
One, I learned how to talk into a microphone, so this is great. You gotta hold it close. And uh, the other was uh, we set up a wrap-up signal now, so we can get through these a little bit quicker. So uh, we have a lot of questions to work through, so we'll get started. And i uh, gonna start with one for Tanya. And uh, when do you know that it's time to let go or give more chances in a relationship? And then in parentheses, we have marriage. Okay, so um, if you want like the deep dive into this question, you're going to listen to the podcast on the first service. I'm going to make this one real tight. Um, but when you actually zoom out to the 30,000 foot view of this question, the question is about forgiveness. The fact that they add parentheses marriage, there's a qualifier there now. The question is totally different when we're uh, looking at giving more chances in terms of marriage versus a relationship. So I'm going to answer this as it was asked, and it was asked about marriage. So forgiveness in marriage, which really what you're asking is, is divorce okay, or do I keep giving more chances? Right, and so uh, because we're not giving our opinions, we're we're doing facts, not feelings. Uh, we have to go to scripture. So jump right into Matthew 19 uh, verses three through nine. Says, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" He answered, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made a male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So what we're asking here is about divorce. And so uh, we've got to view marriage the way that God views marriage. And so he gives a concession for divorce here. We see that um, in verse 9, except for sexual immorality. Um, so just because God gives a concession and says, well, in this area it's okay, doesn't mean that it's the best. What God desires is our heart. He, he gives us the law to show us that we can't keep the law, that we need him, that we need Jesus. It's a heart issue. And so the Pharisees, and even asking this question, their intent here is to test Jesus, to trip him up. It tells us that right in verse 3, that the Pharisees came to him and tested him. And so what the Pharisees liked to do when it came to the law was either add so many things onto it that made it impossible for people to keep, or if it inconvenienced them personally, they would just disregard it entirely. Case in point, the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath holy, not working on the Sabbath. The Pharisees added that you couldn't even spit onto dirt. If you spit onto a rock, you're good. But if you spit onto dirt, it turns into mud, which is used for mortar and making bricks, and then could be used to build a house. Like that is like, they spent so much think energy to put into like something so crazy. So this is just the mindset of uh, the Pharisees that we have here. What we want to do is treat the symptom, not the issue. So I'm a nurse, and so if a patient comes in and they've got uh, swelling in their extremities, they're short of breath, and they have a cough, what we can do is we can treat all of those symptoms, or we can say, what's the cause here? What's actually causing the edema, the congestion, the shortness of breath? Well, it's your heart. And so if we treat the heart issue, the symptoms are going to resolve. And so uh, the issue here when it comes to divorce, the, that's a symptom. 
And the issue actually is marriage and the way that we enter into marriage and our view of marriage itself. This is, I didn't even include this in the first service, but as you're talking about um, the spirit of pornography that we are seeing in our schools right now, that's sexual immorality. And so it's starting at such a young age and we're literally grooming children into sexual conversations, sexual um, numbing. And so when, it, when it's time to actually enter into a relationship, you had said this earlier. What they're doing is they're practicing divorce. They're not practicing marriage. I stole all it. My I stole your thunder. All my I'm thunder. I'm going there. I got a mic. So what what we saw in our youth group uh, was that our teens would date and then break up, and then date somebody else and then break up, or date that same person and break up, like a Zach Morris, Kelly Kapowski. Anybody here? Oh, you guys feel me on that? She went saved by the bell. <laughs> So what, but what they were doing was practicing divorce. They weren't practicing marriage. When you're getting, uh, when you're dating somebody, you're dating with the intent to find a spouse. How did Zach and Kelly end up, by the way? I just know it ended with a slow dance. Divorce. No. For real. Huh. My heart. Um, so what we need to do here is actually look at marriage as a holy union, as two becoming one. I'm going to address this later on, but when we're talking in cases of abuse, this is not this is not okay. That is not of God. That is not something I know the church has, um, whether intently um, or inadvertently, made people feel like you need to just forgive and love covers a multitude of sins and you need to stay and stay and pray. That is not the case here. If you are in an abusive relationship, come to us get help. You do not have to stay in a relationship where your safety is uh, at risk. And so I'm not saying that. Um, can, I, can I add that's abuse in all forms? That's yeah. physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, uh, spiritual abuse, right? Um, there's, there's all different forms. Yeah. Um, and so the Pharisees here in testing Jesus, they really wanted to know uh, what's convenient for them. And so what's convenient is not what's best. And so God's standard uh, is higher than the law. And so what he's giving us is two concessions on divorce. So I already hit one with sexual immorality. Uh, that's infidelity um, within a marriage. God says, you know, you, you're not going to be held uh, to the responsibility of saying that you're committing adultery if you've gotten divorced. The second concession that's given here is abandonment. We see that in 1 Corinthians 7, 15. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother and sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So the second concession for divorce um, is abandonment. So the person who's asking me uh, that question, if you're in an abusive relationship, don't stay and pray through that. You need to leave and then continue to pray through that. Um, if there's a case of sexual immorality or a case of abandonment, you you do have a green light, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best light, but God, right? Mm. And so when you escape from the situation before the miracle can take place, who receives the glory? Nothing. Nobody does because nothing. Um, God's not able to work in that. And we know people that have gotten divorced and remarried and said, like, look at what God has redeemed. Our God is a God of redemption. Uh, what we need to do is we need to give as many chances as God has given us. I'm talking outside of abuse. Um, desire, growth, and healing. Actively pursue it. Romans 12, 17 to 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
I want people, if you're sitting here, because like looking at the questions that we got, a lot of them dealt with um, divorce. Mm. And so I know just by our society um, that divorce is so prevalent. Divorce is so common. And so if you're sitting here as somebody who is currently going through a divorce, previously divorced, um, considering divorce, like wherever you're at uh, in the marriage relationship, I want you to hear me that if you're sitting there and feeling shame right now with that answer, that is not from God. That's right. Shame never comes from God. Guilt, you may feel guilt, you may feel um, conviction, but shame says I am something wrong. Guilt is I did something wrong. And so if you're feeling shame, that is not the intent of this answer. Romans 8, 1, therefore now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we love you. We are for you. We are for marriages, Amen. but we're for people. And so we're here to work through whatever season it is that you are in your relationships alongside of you without condemnation. I want to just add one thing. I believe just like I... I I see, I, I'm starting to see things in, you know, the physical and the spiritual, everything's spiritual. And so there's a, just like there's a spirit of pornography, there's also a spirit of divorce. Divorce is a spirit. Um, I've been a part of churches. I've been on staff at churches where divorce was a spirit, was, was, there was a, they had a spirit of divorce. I have said from day one at the refuge, we will not have a spirit of divorce at the refuge church. Will fight for marriage, um, and so I invite marriages mar marriages that are struggling to be a part of us because because we will have a spirit of marriage, but it's a spirit that we all have to have, and so uh, I just I I thought that was really important. All right, well, you guys asked me to keep this fun, but uh, these are some heavy, heavy subjects heavy. here. All right, keep them so, coming. Yeah, let's move on to the next one here with, uh, this one's for Adam, and how do we actively live in this world, but not of this world, to not conform to the normalcy of sin, yet still live and speak God's truth that gives purpose, but doesn't affect relationships? Yeah, so there was a scripture that was mentioned to live in this world and not be of this world. That's a, that's a scripture, that's why this person worded it that way, uh, but I as I understand the question, it's, it's how, how are we, basically, how do we live as Christians in this world? The scripture that this person gave me by asking the question in the way that they did, uh, I'm just going to, they, they did my homework for me. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to look at the scripture. It's found in John chapter 17, and it's Jesus that's praying to the Father, and he's and if you think about it, Jesus is having a conversation with God the Father. And what I go to is I go to, I'm allowed to have a conversation with God the Father too. And and it's it's just amazing that I can talk to God. And Jesus is talking to God, and it's actually recorded in John chapter 17. I want to read verses 13 through 18 for you. It says, Now I come to you. Who's 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 going to who? Jesus is going to God the Father, right? Now I come to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about you and I. He's talking about the disciples, his time with the disciples, the people that followed him. But he's also talking about us. And he's given us his joy. I have given them your word 
And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. The truth of God's word is what makes us holy, not our actions, not what we do. Keep reading. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Now, I've got six quick things that Jesus says in this passage. I'm not going to preach a whole six-point message this morning, but I want to give you six things that he says. Number one, the first thing he says is, I've given them joy. I've given them joy so that they can go into the world. And so as followers of Jesus, whenever we're around our other non-believing friends, we should have the joy of the Lord. We should be joyful. We should should exude joy. So number one, joy. Number two, belonging. You have to understand who you belong to. As As a follower of Jesus that is in the world and not of the world, you have to understand that you don't belong to the world, so they're not gonna accept you. That you belong to Jesus. Number three is safety. You have have safety that God provides for you. You're covered. That means that when when, when it's time to take a stand, you can take a stand because God's got you covered. Joy, belonging, safety. Number four is holiness. We have to hold on to the holiness of God's word that sets us apart. The reason you belong to God is because you're not of the world, because you're holy, because you're set apart from the world. It's not supposed to go together. It's supposed to be a struggle. That's, that's why Jesus is praying for this, this question. Like, whoever asks this question, take heart. Jesus prayed for this. He knew it would be a struggle. Holiness, number, number five, the fifth thing I see is truth. That it's the truth of God's word. We have to hide God's word in our heart so that we won't sin against him. It's God's word that sets us apart. It's the truth of God's word. We have to hold on to it, know it. We have to study it. Number six, I see mission. So the same mission, get, wrap your head around this for a second. The same mission that Jesus had, that was said in Luke chapter 19, says um, that I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. We've been given the same mission, to seek and to save that which is lost. We've just been given the message that saves them. We've not been given the task to save them. Hallelujah. I hope that encourages you. I don't think my wrap it up button's working over here. Uh. (laughs) We disarmed it. We are, uh, we're two questions in, so here we go. Let's move right to the next one. So um, how do you keep God, uh, oh, very sorry. How do you help new believers in their walk with the Lord or people who are curious about Jesus? This is for me. Adam. Yep. So um, I'm going to piggyback on my last answer, uh, but I am going to answer it differently with one word. The one word that I would use to answer this question uh, and the, the question is, how do you help new believers in, in their, their walk with, with the Lord and people that are curious? 
the one word that I would use to answer this question is baptism. Baptism. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 19, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given you all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We do it by baptism, but the question is, what is baptism? Does that mean we're walking around with a tank filled with water, just dump, dunking our kids or our friends all the time? That does, that's not what that means. But the word baptism is taken from the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo is translated to mean immersion, immerse. And so what I mean by baptism is we have to immerse our friends and our family in the identity of Jesus. You do that by, one, the way you live. You live as Jesus lived. You walk in your identity of Jesus. You are who God has called you to be first. Take care of you first. Then read God's word with your friends. Immerse in God's word. When you read guys, this is what, what I'm doing in my small group, quick plug, small groups on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock right here at the Refuge. We're studying God's word together. But one of the things that we're doing is we're reading God's word, and we're asking, where do you see God in this short passage that we just read? And we talk about it. Immerse in identity of Jesus through baptism. That's what baptism is. I... Listen, I can't wait to the day that we have a baptism Sunday where you guys are walking with people that come to know Jesus and you're the ones baptizing them in the water because you're the one that's walking with them, not me. It's good. Since we're plugging small groups, uh, Thursday night, 6 p.m., <laughs> Fellowship of the Games. So. Did right. you put a sign out there this morning <laughs> advertising your small group, by the way? Yes, I did. That was epic. It was for you. That was next level. That was for you. I love it. Uh, next one here is about relationships. So for the both of you, how do you keep God at the center of a romantic relationship? You want me to go first? All right. Romantic relationships. I love this question because I get to talk about my romantic relationship. <laughs> it's really romantic, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> So here's what I always say. I've said this since we got married, I've said, even before. I know that I'm going to let Tanya down. I know that Tanya's going to let me down. Tanya knows that she's going to let me down, and I know that she's going to let me down. Man, Pastor Adam, this is Q&A Sunday. You should be more positive. I'm positive I'm going to let her down. I'm <laughs> Is that your brother? That was again? my brother that said, call it. <laughs> that was funny. We're going to lay each other down. Therefore, Jesus has to be the center of our marriage because he's the only one that cannot let me down. He's the only one that cannot let her down. And we have to keep him at the center of our marriage all the time. And she's going to tell you how we do that. 
Just a couple practical um, things that you can do. This is certainly not exhaustive, um, but just for the sake of alliteration, I came up with three things that start with the letter C. Um, so number one, make God the center of your conversations. So when you leave church, have a conversation uh, with your partner. Like, what did you learn today? What What did you disagree with today? Um, what What moved you today? Have conversations that revolve around um, what you guys are learning together. Share what you're learning in your private uh, study time. Maybe Maybe you're not having one. Maybe that's the conversation of, I'm just struggling to read God's word, or um, do you have any suggestions for me? Um, and then be honest about your struggles. Make that your conversation of where it is that you're feeling insecure or vulnerable, or where it is that you need to grow in your relationship with God. Uh, the second one is make God uh, the center of your calendar. And so when you uh, determine that you're going to attend church together, that's different than saying, you know, you're going to uh, attend the 9, I'm going to attend the 11, that way the kids can stay at home, or we can go, you know, divide and conquer the you kids' schedule. Real. I'm doing it. Uh, that we're going to make our, our calendar revolve around God and not sports. Um, oh. jump, you really got real. I know. I didn't even do that with the 9. You guys are lucky. Um, Jump into community together. Join Jeff's small group. I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Join small groups together. Or maybe what that looks like in your family, because we're realistic people, maybe it looks like, hey, this is a season that has a small group that I really think would benefit you, and so I'm going to stay at home with the kids so you can go to small group tonight. Do whatever it takes to make the calendar revolve around God. Uh, and then thirdly, make God the center of your conflict. Some people will mistakenly think that a marriage with conflict is uh, one that's headed for disaster. I would say that a marriage without conflict is headed for disaster because if you refuse to go there, you refuse to grow there. And that's not realistic life to say that we're going to live 100 years together and never have conflict. And so uh, in a way to choose to... Can I add something? Years? I remember, oh. I, I was just going through my mind. I remember when we were dating, you told me at one point, my mom and dad have never been in a fight. And I was like, yeah, right. But here's what I know, because I know my in-laws and they're in this room. That's not true. However, they had conflict away from away from the kids. So the kids the kids saw a beautiful marriage. But it was it was I know it wasn't without conflict cuz I've met my mother-in-law. <laughs> I love you, mom. Fired. <laughs> Shots fired. <clears throat> I I will add on to that. As we got older, uh the more that we can handle uh, the parents share more with the kids. Mm. And so you're protecting your young ones. And I'm actually going to get into that later uh, with stages of parenting. If we get there at this point. But I know. We're, uh, but as you get older, you you can handle more. And so your parents, what they're actually doing is preparing you to have marriages of your own. And so that's where uh, you're kind of lifting the veil on stuff like that. Um, so making God part of your conflict. Stay and listen. Don't fight or flight. Uh, address it. Don't avoid it. Um, and trade me for we. You're actually fighting for each other, not against each other. So you're on the same team when it comes to conflict in marriage. Is this where I get to talk about my mother-in-law, too? <laughs> <laughs> Is she here today? 
No. <laughs> Those who know, they know. Th- then All absolutely right. not. You cannot talk about your mother-in-law. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tanya, you're on a roll, so we're going to keep it going with you. So this is a two-part. So uh, what does the Bible say, if anything, about relationships between adult children and their parents? And why does it seem so difficult at times to communicate your parental feelings without coming across as a know-it-all? Okay. So uh, jumping into the uh, uh, parenting adult children, this is where, like, our toes are, like, stepping over the edge of this in our personal life as we have uh, grown uh, older teenagers. And so this one, like, really hit close to home for me. Um, I remember a message I had heard years ago. I only remembered bits of it, but I, like, scoured the Internet to find um, the stages of parenting that this pastor was mentioning. And um, there's psychology terms it in different ways, but um, the part that stuck out to me was because of alliteration, I guess. Um, The stages of parenting are caregiver, cop, coach, and consultant. So when you're the caregiver stage, that's the really littles. Those are the ones that you're wiping the nose and the butt at the same time. Those are the ones that you're like literally they depend on you for their life. That's the caregiver stage. The cop stage is as your child gets a little bit older, what you're doing is you're policing right and and wrong. And so you're helping them make decisions or punishing them based on right and wrong. And so as they get older, what you're doing is you're showing them how to make those decisions and police that for yourself. And you step into the role of coach. And so what a coach actually does is they give instructions, they help, and they send encouragement from the sidelines. You're watching your kid play the game, and you're just shouting out to them as they're in the game some encouragement, some um, some tips, some adjustments or tweaks that they need to make. Um, and then the last position in parenting is con- consultant you counsel after listening to all the factors. And so when I think about it in the professional world, and consul- a consultant doesn't come in until I've invited them, usually until I pay them. But a consultant doesn't come in until I've said, hey, here's an area that I need some expertise, and so I'm going to invite this person that has some clout when it comes to this area and show them everything and say, now what's your opinion? Like, w- give me some feedback, help me grow in this area. And so I'm going to venture to say that this parent who asked this question with the adult children if they feel like they're coming across as a know-it-all, if they are actually coming across as a know-it-all, perhaps you may not be operating in the correct stage of parenting. Perhaps you're operating as a coach when your kids have aged out and need you as a consultant because it's uninvited um, advice. They haven't invited you into that space as a consultant, and so if you're yelling from the sidelines, that's going to be offensive to them. So treat your adult child as you would any other adult. Listen to their needs, give input when asked, but pray for them regardless. Also, there's a difference between feeling like a know-it-all and being a know-it-all. And the only way to tell if you are is to invite somebody to speak into your blind spots. This applies to all phases of life. You should always have somebody in your life that you've given permission to speak to blind spots. And so somebody that can be totally honest with you. When it's not invited uh, advice, then it comes across as offensive to you. But when you have a trusted person who is further down the road than you that's, like, killing it in a game that you want to be in, ask them, hey, do you see any blind spots? Do you see any uh, areas or adjustments that I need to make in my life? And so ask them, do you think I'm being a know-it-all, or am I coming across in a way that would put my adult children on the defensive? Now, for the adult children, so whoever asked this question, pass the podcast over, because now I'm talking to your kids. The Bible says, Ephesians 6, 1 through 2, 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. The Greek word used here for children is actually uh, can be used as children or offspring. Mm. Children has an age limit. In our society, it's 18. Once I'm 18 or older, I'm no longer considered a child. But offspring, I will never age out of being an offspring. So if we read it as offspring, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You will never be able to age out of obeying your parents. You should always honor your father and your mother. And so whether or not you feel like they're overstepping, your responsibility as given by the word of God is to honor your father and mother. And there's a way to disagree. We talked about that in conflict. There's a way to disagree, but still be honoring in that. Don't drop that microphone. (laughs) They're expensive. Yeah, keep it going, Tanya, um, with uh, what it, what's the best way in addition to daily prayer to help your adult children um, to come back to a relationship with Jesus if they have kind of backslidden? So this question says besides prayer. And so I'm just going to hit on prayer just for a second. Uh, Luke 9, Jesus prayed, then he fed the 5,000. Luke 14, uh, sorry, Matthew 14, Jesus prayed, and then he fed 4,000. John 11, Jesus prayed, and then he raised Lazarus. Luke 9, Jesus prayed, and then uh, the transfiguration took place. Mark 7, Jesus prayed, and then he healed a deaf man. Matthew 14, Jesus had actually gone away to the mountainside to spend time in prayer. He came down, and then he walked on water. Prayer precedes the miracle. And so when you ask that question and you say, besides prayer, you're, you have my personality. God bless you. You want to do things. You want a recipe. You want instructions. You're like, give me practical steps. Give it to me in alliteration if you really love me. But tell me things that I can do to make this uh, be better. Prayer. Prayer precedes the miracle. It worked for Jesus. There's no reason that it shouldn't work for us. Good. Fast talker. Oh. So uh, that's why we give her so many questions. So uh, this, is a, this is for Adam, and this question about relationships between people and authority and people who want their moral beliefs known and respected. What's the biblical way to show that you love and remain steadfast in your beliefs? Yeah, I think this, this question, if, if I understand it correctly, um, and by the way, if I don't understand it correct, correctly and you've submitted this, feel free. And listen, just because we're having a Q&A this morning, I hope that you 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 know that uh, Q&A isn't the only way that you can ask us questions. You can always ask us questions. Email us, adam at refugemain.church, tanya at refugemain.church. You can always submit us questions. We're, we would love nothing more than to answer all the questions, uh, which is why we're asking you to give us grace today because we don't have time to answer all the questions that we, that we got. But the way I understand this is... In terms of authority, when authority goes against your, your belief, how do you act? How do you allow your, your belief to, to be known? And hopefully that's a biblical belief. When I first read this question, I, I first thought of all the different times in God's word that people took a stand against authority. It happened a lot. The story that God brought to my attention was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The one that, because maybe it was because I saw the the flannel graph at, in Sunday school with the, the fiery furnace and and all that stuff. But um, Daniel and the lions then Esther took a stand against the king, and 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 she said, "For such a time as this, I've been appointed." And and so 
God's word teaches us how to handle conflict with authority by taking a stand. Daniel chapter 3 is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Read it this week, but just be warned, they end up in a fiery furnace, right? Um, Because they took a stand. We always answer to God first. However, we always have to be led by the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Jesus, you've given your heart to him, you have the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in situations that you know now's the time to take a stand or now's not the time to take a stand. Listen to the Spirit's voice and do whatever he's asking you to do. Let's go back to Tanya on this one, and uh, this is a heavy one here. So in the case of abuse, how should the victim of abuse view the person who abused them? And how can that person accept that God loves that person? This is the one that I was referring to at the beginning when I was talking about divorce, that I would get more into the abuse part. If you are currently in a situation, in a relationship, where your safety is at risk, God is not telling you that a love covers a multitude of sins, so you should stay in that. You should never stay in a situation where your safety is at risk. In ongoing abuse cases, seek help. This is exactly what we're here for. This is, I mean, this is why we're mandated reporters. Like, this is, we are here for you, but we're also here for the abuser. Guess what? You're both God's children, but how should I view them? Not face-to-face, if I can say it like that. So uh, the, the goal here is to, uh, yes, to stop it, but then also reconciliation, whether that means uh, in the relationship or just reconciling them uh, in, in the sense of rehabilitation. So when, when we first moved here, I worked in the prison for a year, and uh, the people that were inmates in the prison, they weren't there to be punished. They were there to be rehabilitated. And so the reason why sentences changed based on the crime is just whatever they feel like the services that are offered to the inmates um, would help them probably in this amount of time be rehabilitated enough to enter into society again. And so when it comes to viewing that, pers- that person who is the abuser, we, w- we want to have a right view of them. Adam uh, had had a great uh, meeting with Mark last week, I think it was, two weeks ago, um, and um, had shared some stuff that last night I was like, I'm not even going to try to do it justice. I want you to share what Mark had uh, shared with you in terms of viewing other people. Yeah, so the time in, in my counseling with Mark that we got to was he said next week, I'm going to teach you how to hear God's voice. And I was like, Mark, I've, I've heard God's voice in my life. I, you know, we started a church in Maine because we heard God's voice to, to move and to do it. Um, he's like, just come back next week and let me, let me, let me teach you. And, and I, I've learned from Mark when, when he says he's going to teach me how to do something, he's going to teach me how to do something. And the following week, he said, have you, you've heard God's voice. And I said, yeah. He's like, how did you hear it? I was like, well, it's, it's a thought that he gives me. He's like, exactly. Now, here's what I want you to do tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, I want you to wake up, and I want you to have your time with God just like you always do. And I want you to, at the end of it, I want you to ask him this simple question. God, what do you think about Adam Harold? Just be still. Just be quiet. Think of the thought that comes to your mind. Maybe that's God's voice telling you exactly what he thinks about you. 
And I got to tell you, I did it the next day. And I mean, buckets of water on the table, right? Um, and then the next day, he said, and then the next day, I want you to do it for Tanya. And the next day, I want you to do it for Anna. And the next day, I want you to do it for Grant. And then, and I'm warning you, the next day, he said, I want you to do it for the people of the Refuge Church. What Tanya is getting at is that you can go to God and you can ask him, God, what do you think about, insert abuser's name there. Now, let me share with you, I think probably the most, um, the, the, the thing that got my attention more than anything. Mark said to me, he goes, whatever he tells you about you is not going to be condemning. Whatever he tells you about Tanya, because she belongs to Jesus, is not going to be condemning. And it reminded me of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not condemning, it's not negative. It's positive because if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and there is no condemnation in that. And don't for a second think that it doesn't break God's heart, the abuse that you've suffered. Also, the person that's the abuser, there's something broken in that person, and that grieves the Lord as well. <clears throat> the other part of that question was um, how to accept that God loves that person. Luke 7, 41 through 43, and then I'm going to jump down to 47, um, says a certain money lender had two debtors. He owed one 500 denarii and the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now which will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. There will come a day when that person needs to stand before God. And whether or not they have chosen, chosen to accept the payment that Jesus paid for their sins, I'm not even referencing that. It's just the fact that they're going to have to give an account for what they have done. And the person who has been forgiven much will have so much more love and um, gratitude to give God because they have been forgiven of so much. Also remember that God isn't giving you what you deserve. So it's easy for me to pray and say, God, just, you know, make them pay for what they did for me, uh, to me. Uh, just help them to, to get what they deserve, right? And, and some vengeance is what we want. But if we're going to put that out there, then we also need to say, make it a blanket statement. And if I were to get what I actually deserved, then I wouldn't be able to stand that, right? And so that's the very reason that God sent Jesus is to pay the price for our sins because we couldn't possibly... Uh, justify the the wrong that we have done. And so I know it's so hard, and I know it's a difficult thing to hear, but if you want them to get what they deserve, then you're also willing to take what you deserve. Wow. Uh, so, Jeff, we're out of time, but there were some really good questions that were asked yesterday. Um, I think I don't even think we've gotten through half of these questions. There have been 20. Uh, we got 20 questions um, and I think uh, Tanya and I mentioned in the last service that maybe we'll do a podcast together and answer kind of the, the remaining questions. 
Um, but there were two questions that I wanted to get to uh, from yesterday. Um, one, you have, um, there's a question about fear in relationships. Um, you see that one? This is, I'm throwing you a complete curveball. Um, the inch, uh, but no, yes, yes, that question. But um, there's there's another question that was asked yesterday about about fear and relationships. Ask that, and then and it's going to piggyback onto the, the other question. Yep, in relationships or in relationships, sometimes fear can take advantage. So what can we do to embrace that fear rather than letting it take over? Yeah, and then go to the introvert question that yep. Tanya is referring to. If you're um, an introvert, what, what would be some ways that you can connect beyond small groups that you can develop genuine relationships? So I, I think these, these two go hand in hand. And um, I want to read a scripture. I'm, I'm looking it up right now because um, I don't have it in my notes. Um, it's it's Second Timothy chapter one in verse seven, and it says this. It says, uh, "Let me find it." For God uh, gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self control. The spirit of fear is not from God, uh, because because of what we just read, God has given us a spirit not of fear but a power, love, and, and self-discipline, 2 Timothy 1.7. So um, in relationships, I, I think we resist fear because that spirit isn't from God. I think that that goes into the introvert question. But you are an introvert. I'm not. So I was going to say, all the introverts in the house don't want to raise their hand because they're introverted. But uh, as an introvert, all that introvert versus extrovert means, I think we've really gotten away from what that actual word means. So introvert versus extrovert is what charges you. Does being around a lot of people charge you? Or does it drain you? That's your answer to whether you're an introvert or extrovert. Not, I don't like to be around people, and so I'm not going to be around people because I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert by nature, so by the time I get home on Sunday afternoons, I'm like, oh. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't people hard on Sundays. That doesn't give me uh, an excuse. And so you can't allow the fact that you're an introvert by nature to become a crutch for you and allow yourself to stay on the sidelines because it drains you. It's just knowing enough that when you're done with that situation, you probably need to, like Jesus, go away from the crowd to recharge. Use that time in prayer just like Jesus did and then watch the miracle take place. Um, so just because it doesn't charge you doesn't mean you can't do it. Don't believe the lie that says that you're incapable of relationships just because you're an introvert. Resist fear. Put yourself out there and repeat that cycle over and over again. Just keep putting yourself out there. Um, I'm actually uh, doing a small group just with our female leaders in the church uh, called Walking with Lions, and there's a five-stage process of uh, developing healthy, godly, but deep relationships. And so it's relate, trust, disclose, process, and then integrate. And so I'm sure at one point um, I'll, I'll teach more on walking with lions with a relational process. But um, this is what you're doing as an introvert. You're saying, how do I put myself out there? Relate to somebody. Just pick one person. Trust them. Begin to disclose things about yourself with them. Process through that with them. And then integrate that into your life. Rinse and repeat. That's good. Um, there was one question that came in late last night that I wanted to address because um, it's one of, one of them that we haven't 
uh, we haven't uh, addressed in this whole conversation. Um, and it's about, it's about sex. So um, I know there are little kids in the room, but I'm going to go there um, because you went there. Uh, did you guys wait until marriage to have sex? And do you talk about impo the importance of waiting for marriage with your children? And if so, how do you go about that conversation with your kids? Um, so the first question is personal. Uh, but we did, yes, we did wait till we were married to, to have intercourse. And um, we do encourage our kids to wait till they're married to have intercourse. Because God's plan is always best. We always try to teach our kids, and we do it in the way that we live our lives. This is the hardest part. Because all, all these questions... There's not just one formula. The formula is being Jesus. The formula is living in your identity of Christ. The problem is, as I live in my identity of Christ as a father, I also have to live in my identity of Christ as a husband. As, if I live in my identity of Christ as, as a, a basketball player or a, a, a pastor, whatever role I, I'm doing, I have to be consistent. That's the hard part. Consistency is key. And so we invite conversations with Anna and Graham, but it's not a conversation of, hey, let's just talk about sex um, outside of marriage or inside of marriage. Or it's let's talk about who you are in Jesus and what Jesus expects. He expects sex with one partner. He, ex he expects he expects that because he knows that's what's best. And so we just try to be who we are. You want to piggyback on any of that? No, it's just the difference of uh, rule-based parenting or value-based parenting. Yes. So we're not parenting with a list of do's and don'ts. We're parenting with a set of values. And so when your child strays from that value, instead of you broke this rule, it's all right, hey, let's have a conversation about, about who you are. when we say, you know, heralds are, you know, obedient to the word of God. Let's have a conversation on what brought you to make that decision. That's good. Did you guys get anything today? Stay to your feet. We want to pray with you. I told the first service we could be here all day, but then we wouldn't have time for the second service. And now I have the second service, and I have to say we could be here all day, but then we wouldn't have time for lunch. So, uh, you know, there's one thing that's, that's, that's unmistakable today, and that is there's a lot of weight in this world. There's a lot of heaviness. There's a lot of burden. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of sin. That's not the way God wanted it to be. Sin wasn't a part of his plan. That was what we did. His plan was for us to always live in the identity of Jesus. That's the way it was in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve. But then Adam and Eve sinned, and because of that, we all inherit sin. But that's why we need Jesus. But here's what I know. You can't carry this weight all by yourself. 
you need the person sitting next to you. And the person sitting next to you needs the person sitting next to them and next to them and next to them. We all need each other. Would you just, would you dream with me just for a moment? Would you dream that the Refuge Church would be a church filled with people that serve each other and serve the community? That have the funds to to give, to supply the need for the person that can't pay rent? That have the the ability to go to a house and to work together shoulder to shoulder to clean up the mess from all the snow that we are getting this week. That we would come alongside each other, we would work together to beat Jesus to this world. Because the stuff in this world is heavy. I can't carry it alone. Neither can you. I've got Dave and Dolores up here. They want to pray with you this morning. If you have a burden that you're carrying, a specific burden, they want to they want to carry it with you. If you want to come and get on your knees, get on your face before Jesus, maybe some of you need to repent of abuse and that you've caused. Maybe you were the abuser. Maybe you need to repent of sin in your life that no one knows about. You've been carrying it. You've been hiding it, but you can't hide it any longer. Come and repent and give it to God and say, God, I'm sorry. And then go to the person and say, person, I'm sorry. We can't do this alone. Father, I thank you. For Jesus, who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And if there's anyone in this room that does not know him, have never called on the name of Jesus to be saved, Father, I pray that right now they would just say to you, God, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me for the sin of my life. By the blood of Jesus, I receive it. Make me new. Become my identity because of the resurrection that Jesus had for me. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that would serve each other. And as we serve each other, we would learn how to serve the world around us. That we would be able to be in this world and not of this world. The exact same way that Jesus prayed that we would do it with unity with each other, just like Jesus had with the Father. That we wouldn't talk bad about each other because we're unified. That we would fight for each other and not with each other. That we would stand shoulder to shoulder, convicted to be holy, for you are holy. God, I love you so much. I ask that you would continue to build your church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'll sing a song and then we'll be dismissed.